miracles that all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recorded. And this is one of those two. And of course, the main one is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the greatest miracle that he rose from the tomb. And the only other miracle mentioned is this miracle, the miracle of the loaves and fishes. You know, it's interesting that it was nothing so dramatic as someone being raised from the dead. It was not an instantaneous healing from the disease of leprosy, of which there were many. It wasn't a lame person rising up to walk, and perhaps a forerunner of Pentecostal tradition. It was food. <laughs> Everybody needed something to eat, and uh, the disciples were sending them off to fend for themselves, and Jesus looked at them, and he said, no, you give them to eat. He took a boy's lunch, and he fed a multitude. And perhaps the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children so impacted the gospel writers uh, so much because it was a miracle that, well, that involved all of the disciples. And so I'm preaching to you when you become a part of a miracle. Uh, the story began earlier that day when Jesus received terrible and tragic news about the death of his close relative and forerunner, John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, among them that are born of women, there's not risen a greater. And so Jesus got in a boat, and the Bible says he withdrew privately to a solitary place because, humanly speaking, he wanted to grieve uh, the loss of his of his relative, of, of his close friend, of a man that he loved and cared about very much. And so he withdrew with his disciples to a solitary place to be alone with those closest to him, to grieve. And yet the Bible says that the multitudes followed Jesus and and they uh, they followed him as he went. And as he went out into this desert place and the the, the multitudes followed them, and he had compassion on them. He sat aside his own weariness of soul, and he began to minister to them. And one gospel writer said that he healed all of their sick, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And so he, he set aside his weariness, his own uh, emotions, and he ministered, and he, he gave of himself and at the, as evening began approaching, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, you need to send everyone away because everybody's hungry. It's late. We're out here in this place. And, and Jesus looked at them and he said, no, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. You feed them. Look at your neighbor. If they're close to you, if not, you can holler. But look at them and say, you feed them. You go. You give. You teach. You know, aren't you glad that, that Jesus is never overwhelmed by our needs? He's never overwhelmed, and sometimes we have great needs, but God, is, he's, he has an endless supply, amen, of mercy, of provision. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's never worried about, uh, about how he's going to do something, uh, but he does care about the way that he does it. But he's not put off by our needs when we become overwhelmed. Uh, I, I pray that God would help us to see people as he sees them. 
And sometimes people can get themselves in terrible messes that uh, really and just need are in a desperate situation. But we do know that we have the answer. When Peter walked by the beggar in Acts chapter three, he could have just went on by. He was asking for money and Peter didn't have any money, but he stopped because he knew what he really needed. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. You know, what did Peter have? Well, he didn't have money. We know that. Uh, he didn't have a good reputation. He had just denied Jesus. He was, wasn't one of the best, but he knew who Jesus was. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. And, and, and Peter had just been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so he ministered to him. We have what this world needs. And as evening began to fall, everyone tired and hungry. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus turned and he looked at Philip. And he said, where can we buy bread so that these people can eat? Now, the reason Jesus has Philip is because Philip was from that region. But the Bible tells us that he was testing Philip. He knew what he was going to do. He's never going to leave people hungry and in need. God never sends anyone away hungry or with a need. He's going to provide, but he wants to use us to do it. And so there was no question as to whether Jesus would provide. The question was, Where's it going to come from? Who's going to allow themselves to be used? God will always use his disciples. He will always use his people to minister to others. And many times we're like the disciples. We feel we just don't have what it takes to help. But uh, sometimes, you know, I can't even uh, take care of myself, let alone the rest of the world. I definitely need my wife. But... (laughs) But I'm, I'm thankful that God uses us and he, he allows us to be a part of the miracle. And Jesus was teaching his disciples at this moment. He knew what he was going to do, but he tests Philip. He says, Philip, where? Philip knew where the bread stores were. He knew where the resources. And Philip, Jesus asked where. You know, God, God always has questions for us. But whenever God asks a question, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. He's omniscient. When God asks a question... It's because he's trying to teach us something. And the question that Jesus asked was where? And, you know, Philip gets out his calculator and says, Lord, 200 penny worth wouldn't buy enough to give everyone a snack. Now, 200 penny worth, that wasn't pennies. A penny worth was a day's wages. So so they had some money in the, in the treasury. They had 200 days wages, but he was calculating and saying that's not enough uh, to to, to feed everybody else. And so, sure, we're not broke, but we don't have enough for a need this big. Jesus asked where. Philip answers with how. How can we feed them? We don't have enough. Jesus didn't ask him how much they had. He didn't ask him. He just said where. We're always concerned about how. God's never concerned about how. God wants to know where. It's what Jesus told the woman at the well, she was concerned, you know, where should we worship uh, God on this mountain or the Jews say in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is, amen, where the Lord seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Wherever we decide to worship God, amen, that's where God shows up, amen. God's saying, where do you want me to manifest my presence? Where do you want me to manifest my glory? His, his spirit fills the universe. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent, but his glory manifests itself where you and I decide to gather together in his name, amen, and worship his name. He manifests his glory. And so Jesus wants to know where. You and I get the privilege of deciding where. I'm sure 
the, the church building where, where, where you're in, uh, uh, you know, I'm just seeing the inside, but someday somebody said this would be a good spot or somebody eyed it. And, and we, you decided that this is where we're going to worship God. And so God shows up where we decide. Mark records that the disciples told Jesus, just send them home defend for themselves. We're tired and hungry, and we don't have the resources to take care of this people. But God is never worried about how he's going to do something. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the creator. It's never a problem. What he wants to know is who. That's a question God asks. Who? Who will go? Isaiah chapter 6 paints a beautiful portrait of the throne room of God. The Bible says his train filled the temple uh, with his, you know, of course, in, in always victorious and is a beautiful six-winged seraphim flew about with two wings and two they covered their feet, the other two they covered their face and they cried one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The doorpost, the threshold shook at the sound of their voice and the temple was filled with smoke and Isaiah had this revelation and his eyes were opened to all of this and, and he realized I'm in trouble. I don't deserve to be here in this place and I don't know if you've ever felt like that in the presence of God, you know we don't deserve it. And he's in the presence of a mighty and a holy God. But but God in the midst of all this power, glory, and majesty was asking a question. He was saying, who? Who will go? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? It always seems we're worried about how. When what God wants to know is who. He's just looking for somebody who says, here am I, send me. I'll go, Lord. I may not be the best. I might not be the brightest. I might not have everything in order, but God does not use the most talented. The race is not to the swift. It's to he that endures to the end. It's just someone who says, Lord, I'm willing to go. Lord, I'm willing to be used. And when you allow yourself to place what you have in the master's hands, it's always enough. It's never enough. And all the money in the world isn't enough for some people and for some problems and for some situations. But but it's what we have. Our resources are always enough when we place it in God's hands. God wants to know who. He wants to know where. From the beginning, God had questions. Even though he's omniscient and all-knowing, he's always questioned his people, not because he has a lack of knowledge, but to make us consider and think. The first question God asked in the Bible when he asked Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Now, that wasn't because he didn't know Adam's physical location. It's because Adam was not where he should be both not just physically, but spiritually. He was foolishly trying to hide from God. It seems ridiculous, but time after time, people try to hide themselves or hide something from God. Adam and Eve, Jonah, Achan, King David, Ananias, Sapphira. It never ends trying to hide from God. David said it best. He learned. He said, where will I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I meet my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. When God says, where are you? It's because you're not where you should be. The prophet Elijah ran, not from God so much as fear of the enemy. And after he watched fire fall from heaven, he ran, he hid in a cave and God had to come and coax him out and say, what are you doing there, Elijah? Why are you there? And so Mark 6 records that while the disciples were trying to send people off uh, to fend for themselves, Jesus looked at them and he said, you feed them. You take care of them. 
And when they explain we pulled all of our resources, it's not going to be enough, thinking they're off the hook. He says, what do you have? And, of course, they came and they said, well, Lord, we have this, a, a boy's lunch, five loaves and two fishes. And, but, but, the, but, the, but the refrain was, but what are they among so many? What is this? It's so small. And Jesus said, that's fine. Just give me what you have. And he took it. He took it from them. He, he, in their hands, it fed a boy. But in his hands, it fed thousands. A lack of bread never scares Jesus. He just wants to know who will put what they have in his hands, who will place what they have in his hands. And so Jesus took the little boy's lunch away from him, and he broke it, and he blessed it, and he gave it back to the disciples. And they actually got back less than what they gave him. And that's how it is when you give of your time, when you give whatever you, you know, you gave it. And so you have less than what you started with, but with one huge difference, it's blessed. And so they receive back a small portion. They give him five loaves, two fishes. He breaks it. He puts it back in their hands. He distributes it. It's the same amount as what they started with, but it's been blessed by God. And they went out and they began to give and they began to feed. And it was just, and it's how God blesses. It's how the widow who was down to her last meal and about to prepare it, you know, God didn't give her a whole uh, big barrel of oil and he didn't give her a, a whole huge amount of flour. She hit bottom every day, but it was always enough. It never ran out. And so they went out and they began to distribute they organized the people, and, and, and the miracle happened in the disciples' hands. The miracle happened when they put what they had in Jesus' hands. He blessed it. He broke it. He put it back in their hands, and they went out. And in their hands, the multiplication happened. And they fed everyone of loaves and fishes until they were all full. And then they gathered up the leftovers because you cannot outgive God. You always end up with more than what you started with. Amen. And so they gathered up from five loaves and two fishes, 12 baskets full of leftovers. And I guarantee you the boy didn't go home hungry. He ate what he wanted. Amen. And why 12 baskets? Because there were 12 disciples and they all had, we all have a basket full of proof that God is a miracle working God. How many miracles has God done for you? How many times has God provided for you? How many times has God healed you? How many times has God forgiven me? How many times has God given me another opportunity? We all have testimonies of the power of God. Amen. And we we all come away with more than what we started with. I don't think that the widow who gave her last mite in the offering, I don't think she went home to an empty pantry. I don't think she went hungry that night because I know God blesses. Jesus involved the disciples. He just was taking the little that they had and he blessed it and he let them. God lets us become a part of a miracle. It's time to, to stop giving excuses and put what we have in the master's hands. Place your future, place your, place your family, Place your life in his hands. The world is tired, hungry, and scared right now. And they need the church to be the church. They need the church, amen, to overcome whatever obstacle to continue ministering and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give what we can. Just 
Put what you have in of your time of, of reaching out to people, of ministering, and, and watch what God will do. With God, watch how God will bless and how God will multiply, and it will be enough. You know, who do we think we are, really? <laughs> we, we sin, and I'm a missionary blessed by the United Pentecostal Church International. I've met missionaries around the world, and I can say, I can truly say, just on a, just on a, 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 a natural basis, the our church takes care. We are well taken care of by our organization. We are uh, we we are blessed, but we send a couple to a nation, and and we. we She's for Christ, man. That that's that's right now. There's a big push, and we we buy them a nice vehicle and ladies auxiliary. We give them a, a nice appliances, and then we say, "Win that nation." But it works. It works because the church together begins to work, and God begins to multiply, and and we're having revival. We're seeing revival around the world. Amen. And. Don't ever think what little I have, what little I can contribute to the Lord. When you place it in God's hands, you know, isn't it just like God? He took a lad. Think of the person that he used that day. It was a little boy. And, of course, this has been debated by theologians much smarter than me for years, but it says 5,000 men were there. I guess because in that day and age, they didn't count the women. They didn't count the children. So obviously, minimum, there were probably 15,000 plus people there that day. But a little boy who he wasn't even in the official count. He wasn't even counted in the 5,000 men because he wasn't a man yet. And yet it was his lunch and his mother who wasn't in the account because she was a female. And yet it was her work. That's who God used. He took that. He took their resources, and when that was put in his hands, he blessed it. God uses, amen, those that, that the world, those that others don't even think of, God can take anything from anyone and bless it and use it. Hallelujah. He says, go ye into all the world. He uses what's in our hands. He used Moses' rod to divide the Red Sea. He used Noah's hands to build an ark. He used Rahab, a harlot's house, to hide Israel's spies, and she wound up becoming a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He used a widow's last meal to feed the prophet. He used the mouth of a donkey to speak to his prophet. He used the jawbone of a donkey, water pots at the wedding in Cana, whatever it is, amen. A lack of bread never scares God. I'm concluding, but... When we arrived, uh, our second assignment on the field, we started in Mexico City, and we love Mexico City. That's where our son, our youngest son was born. But uh, we moved from Mexico City, one of the largest cities in the world, and we moved to uh, southern Mexico to the state of Chiapas, to a, a city of Tuxtla Gutierrez. Uh, in the Indian dialect there, it's a place of many rabbits. And... Uh, uh, we the churches most of were Mayan Indian churches in the mountains, and we moved to that city, and and we were praying, and we started visiting the churches in the mountains, but we were wanting to start a church in that city, and uh, the first contact we had was a brother who had been saved in the United States, and he wrote back about his family, and we made that contact, and we had another visiting minister and his family. There were five of us. And this brother, his wife, and two of his children, so nine. And this family invited us over to their home. And Mexicans are always, uh, mi casa es su casa. 
that's not just a saying it's literal like they you know they open up their home and uh and they were it was a very humble home but they decided to grill meat that day which is uh a really uh it was expensive and they they carne asada was very delicious and that way that day they they prepared the meal and when we arrived we went out and we sat outside because we didn't fit in the little house so we were sitting outside they were grilling the meat and they started serving and we prayed and we made arrangements and that was the start of our church the next week we started a prayer meeting and we started in their backyard in the living room and in a few weeks we were in the backyard that's where the church started but they testified afterwards they said pastor when you came we were expecting a, a family, a husband and wife and three small children. And when you came, there were nine of you, not five of you. And we did, and we quickly realized we don't have enough meat, but it would be an embarrassment for us to tell our guests that we can't feed them. And they said, we didn't know what to do. We didn't have money to buy more. Uh, everything was calculated. So we just prayed over the meat. And as we put it on the grill and cooked it, and I remember I was served and, you know, I obviously like to eat. And so they came around and said, you want some more? I said, sure. And I think I had two or three plates and my boys, I'm sure, uh, ate as well. But we all ate until we were filled. And they said, brother, we, we just kept praying and we kept putting the meat on the grill and we kept serving it. And amen. And the Lord multiplied the lord multiplied that day and that's how we started our church and uh, that church is still going today i work every week with the pastor of that church and he was actually in that uh there that day a lack of bread never scares god amen i'd like to invite you to stand god is asking today who who will go he's asking where where can I pour out my spirit? Where can I move? He's asking, what do you have in your hand? That's what he said to Moses when Moses was nervous and not sure and unsure that he was going to be able to do what God was calling him to do. He just said, Moses, what are you, what's that in your hand? Had Moses been a, a, a carpenter, it might have been a hammer that he raised up over the Red Sea or a saw. It was just simply, it was not, there was nothing in that stick. It was a, it was just simply what, what he had in his hand. God uses what we have. He takes us from where we are and he blesses it. He will bless you little as much if God is in it. That's and right. a whole lot is never enough if God does not bless it. You have, we have, the church has exactly what we need. You have what you need to reach your city. You have what you need to reach Gillette, Wyoming. You don't need any more than what you have right now. Paul told Timothy, just stir up the gift of God that's within you. Amen. We have what we need to reach. Amen. We preach and teach to the ministers in Cuba. Uh, God provides, but we teach them you have exactly, we have what we need. We have the power of the name of Jesus. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have the anointing of God and, and we have the blessing of God and he will bless, he will provide. It's our good pleasure to be able to be a part. When you become a part of the miracle, uh, you saw the video 
The Lord knows we made a tr that trip to Eastern Cuba and I was so overwhelmed to be a part and realize that we were an answer to a prayer of a man who for 10 years, almost 10 years, had been preaching and teaching Jesus' name, baptism, and baptizing people and asking God to send someone to meet believers. And, and so when we showed up, it was such a wonderful thing to be an answer to that prayer. You can be an answer to someone's prayer tonight. Tomorrow, hallelujah. I invite you to lift your hands and begin to worship the Lord, hallelujah. Pastor, I'm gonna turn it back to you, but I, let's just thank the Lord. Ask the Lord to use you. Ask God, look, say, here am I, Lord. Send me, Lord. Here am I, I place my life in your hands, Lord. My family in your hands, my future, Lord. Use me. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Let's respond to the word. We have heard it just an incredible message here. Praise God. And let's let God just deal with us for a few, for a few minutes in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. What an awesome service and message and such a timely report that we're hearing in Jesus' name. You and I, we can be part of the miracle. That was just absolutely awesome, praise God. And this is what we want in Jesus' name, praise God. Thank you, Brother Gwen. We appreciate you and your family being with us. This has been a privilege for us to have Thank you in an honor. Thank you very much. Thank Jesus you, Brother Carnahan. We appreciate it. Amen. We are so glad, praise God. And we're, we're, we're ecstatic to be partners with you. And we're believing God for just powerful miracles in Cuba that's already happened and will continue to happen. And we just look forward to the reports in Jesus' name. Yes. And Amen. So, brother, Thank you. we're not going to depend on you or your wife for a PIM uh, slip. We're going to go online. <laughs> we're going to do that. Thank you. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. But we will be okay. sending you an offering, my dear friend, and, and your wife and your family, and we appreciate you. And like I said, this has been an honor to have you, and um, we just, we're just glad to be a part of this in Jesus' name. Well, God bless you very much. It's an honor to be with you all, all tonight. Right. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank God you. bless you. Praise God. God Let's thank you. God for our missionaries one last time. Thank you, sister. God bless you. Appreciate you being with us. name. Praise God. Thank you folks for being a part of this service tonight. As you know, we'll be taking up an offering and then if you're interested in partnering with us for them or with them, praise God, you just get a hold of Sister Carnahan and we'll make this all work in Jesus' name. God bless you tonight. Thank you again for being part of the service. And the Lord bless the Gwen family in Jesus' name.